Right, guys, welcome back to Build It, the DeKalb County United Soccer Podcast, looking at all things American soccer, non-league ideally. John Hall with me as ever. Hi, John. Hey, Nick. Hi, John. This week we are joined by um, our good friend from North or South Carolina, Zach, I can never remember. North Carolina, Raleigh North Carolina. specifically. There you, there you go then. Uh, Zach Hines is in the studio. Hi, Zach. Hey, everyone. Good to meet you. Good to have you here. Um, Wait, well, Nick, when, when did we get a studio? You've been having me do this from my basement. <laughs> my studio. It's more, it's more of a, yeah, it's a basement. I, you know, without the snow covering the, the skylight, I can almost see the, the daylight today. Um, all right, Zach, so just so people know, um, what is your official capacity league-wise? That's why we're uh, basically my, where we're going. Yeah, my official capacity with the uh, First Flight League here in North Carolina is um, the IMD League Commissioner. Um, I'm not affiliated with any of the specific clubs um, throughout the league. I'm just a league official. There you go. I, I could have could have done some research and done it properly like I did with the previous guests, but I thought it would sound better coming from your mouth. All right, cool. <laughs> um, so before we go any further, Zach, before we talk um, football admin and league admin and all the really, really exciting stuff that gets the girls hot at parties, where yeah. are we? What, give us a brief overview of your soccer history how you how we ended up here uh well it's 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 pretty brief um i unlike a lot of people that uh or that kind of fall into this uh i didn't play soccer growing up and um, i really didn't get into the sport really until about 2015 2016 um when i moved back into raleigh um after living in Asheville for a couple of years and um i started going to railhawks games because they were just carolina railhawks um games because they were just local it was another sport i could just kind of go into while i was looking for friends as i moved back into the city and then um I just kind of fell in love with the supporters culture um, here in Raleigh, and it just kind of steamrolled into that. I was into the Railhawks, and then we got NC Courage happened, and then um, I started following the the U23 team and the academy stuff more closely for NCFC, and then got into UPSL and USL League Two and NPSL, and then that steamrolled into FFL, and everything just kind of like it just all picked up steam in the past like two three years. Um, but uh, that, that's really my, uh, my history with soccer. It's uh, very little to no playing and a lot of the back end and supporters culture and stuff. And then um, through the podcast that um, my fellow co-host, also named Zach, Zach Leishner, uh, launched back in um, late 2019, early 2020, which was the perfect time to launch a podcast that was covering soccer because everything just stopped. All the, um, all the to, cool kids launched a podcast around that time. Don't worry about it. Just, uh, just yeah, it's the perfect time. Um, uh, uh, but uh, that's really been my connection with the sport and um, growing over the past couple of years. All right. And there's no shame in having not being a player. I alluded on one podcast. I don't know if it was this one or not, but um, I have one competitive game to my, to my one competitive game to my name. When I was ten, I played for my primary school third eleven. Um, which is, you know, not a very high level at all. And I was left back. It was literally, who else can we pick? Oh, God, we have to pick the fat kid. So I have no footballing knowledge at all. I can barely tell a 4-4-2 from a 4-3-3, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, yeah, I'm with you. It's, I'm all about the fan culture and the community relationships and whatnot. John and the other fit and healthy people can go off and talk about positioning and goalkeeping <laughs> skill sets. And, but yeah, not for you and I. Not uh, an, all good. Not, all good. Any, not anymore. Well, no, not with your knees. Yeah, I, got, I got a bad knee now, too. I can't even do pickup. <laughs> it's, let's leave it to the kids. It's fine. We're all old and married. And <laughs> all right, so let's talk briefly about the First Flight League. How did that come into, into being? Yeah, so the uh, First Flight League kind of formed out of a couple of clubs already existing in North Carolina, looking to uh, kind of break away and do something very similar to, like, the Midwest Premier League and Gulf Coast Premier League and kind of EPSL up north um, of that 
uh, club-driven league where the the clubs have say in every every you know every aspect of, of the league at to some level, and um and it, running a nonprofit kind of situation and it really formed out of that idea and like something that we could do for the state as a whole. Um, and this was all done before I, I came on this kind of like the, those bedrocks. I came on back in November um, after a couple of discussions and really kind of took a hold, kind of took a hold of the league, refreshed the branding a little bit and um, started laying out more of those train tracks to, to, to get it rolling, to be ready for 2021. But really the impetus is that, is that, um, that local travel, local divisions within North Carolina, potentially expanding out of North Carolina in the future, but right now our focus is on North Carolina. And they're just providing a platform for clubs to be sustainable long-term without having to pay a lot of money out of pocket. This is, this is going to be a horribly harmonious podcast. I can feel it. There's not going to be any aggro going on there. John, can you in any way relate to that sort of story with the Midwest? Does that sound in any way familiar? Well, yeah, and the cool <laughs> thing is it, Zach's doing it there. Um, I, we're trying to do it in the Midwest. I mean, I think there's there's so many opportunities now where, at least on paper, we as leagues are trying to support the clubs differently than maybe has been done in the past. So, yeah, we, we uh, it's it's like listening to me talk, and, you know, mm. I enjoy that. Jesus, that's all I need. <laughs> Christ almighty. Jesus, that's a terrible idea. All right, no, it's it's because we always say on this podcast, and I'm sure you've heard us say, Jack. Like, I, the feeling is increasingly that cl- clubs need to be fan-driven rather than player-driven, right? Because that's the long-term success model. Um, and it feels increasingly that like there's a groundswell of support for that the leagues need to be club-driven. So the next level level up from that is like, if, yes, we can be rivals on the pitch for 90 minutes, but overall, it's got to be you and me helping each other up to the next level. Um, and it's great to see, frankly. You know, there's enough backbiting and and insularism in the rest of the world. Let's not bring it into soccer as well, he said with his idealistic head on. Um, <laughs> so then, how did how did you end up as the league commissioner? Um, well, I found out about the league. I was, let's say, I think back in September or so, um, I did a, did a quick interview with, um, a couple of the, the, the board members. And, um, after we finished up that call, I just kept them on the phone and asked them a couple of questions off the record to see if like how I could help. Cause I could help with social media. It started out with just like, Hey, do you want to just help with social media? And then from there, it kind of, um, steamrolled in, into like well what are your like what, here are some ideas that i have of what the league could look like you know looking at other leagues what you could pull from to kind of kind of help flesh this idea out a little bit more and the next thing you know i've got a five page google doc of ideas and things you could work on and then um it all culminated into a meeting in november where we're just kind of like outlined of like this is this is the most uh uh uh, detailed on paper kind of idea we have for the league other than we want to be club driven and and we want to play games and um so they just kind of took my ideas and put me into the position and said go <laughs> you're the sucker that came with the idea so you might as well implement it yeah <laughs> yeah all right um how do you find the dis like being apolitical and dispassionate like clearly there's going to be people that you get on better with than other people um as representatives of each club how do you finding that sort of delineation between you're my friend but dot 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 or you're my in inverted commas enemy dot 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 oh man um i i you know that's, that's probably a very big weak spot of me <laughs> uh, this is you know I, by by trade um i work at a uh a, a teaching hospital a vet teaching hospital um i'm just down the street for uh 
at NC State. Um, I'm a radiology assistant. <laughs> um, so I, I don't, I am completely removed from this on like my day job. And I don't know if I have the exact skill set long term to, uh, to keep that stability. Uh, but, you know, I just, I'm doing my best to keep everybody happy and, and keeping the, <laughs> keeping the, 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 the reins a little short when necessary. And um, so far, everybody has been really good about um, very bought in on the idea. And we haven't had to be, um, uh, yeah. seek the hounds out too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, apropos of nothing, my wife, and John can testify this, this, my wife kind of does leadership development and things in very important high up you know earning far more money than i can ever dream of doing and has a skill set that is kind of aligned to that sort of thing and we had a sit down her and me and john and andy hayes who's the commissioner of the midwest the other week um but one of the things that she always tells says to me and i don't know if it's relevant but it's always front of mind with me is is to assume positive intent right when people are having a go um 99 of the time this is nothing to do with soccer but there you go welcome to the self-help podcast and 99 of the time people are like just want the best possible outcome, whether they're complaining about a process or a document or a result or whatever it is. Um, they're not usually turning up to have a fight. They just want the best possible thing. So I always have to sort of program myself to flip it around and say, okay, what is it that they want out of this? Because they're not having, they're not saying, Nick, you're a dick. They're saying, I don't like this thing. It's not, <laughs> it's, to de it's trying to depersonalize it. And I struggle with that. And I know that um, from the conversations that Andy and John have had with myself and with Kate um, that they struggle with that. Is that fair, John? No, you said it perfectly. Actually, I, I, I jotted that down again. Assume positive intent. I just yeah. put that on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the other, <laughs> let's just go down this road, screw it. The other um, analogy that she always uses for me um, is, be, is to use the beach ball, right? The, the famous four colored beach ball of white and yellow and red and blue or whatever it is and if you're holding the beach ball right in front of your face all you see is you're adamant that that beach ball is red because you, all you can see is the red quarter the other person on the other side is also holding the beach ball is adamant that that beach ball is blue because all they see is blue so it's the same ball just a different different perspective um there you go i don't know if that's relevant but again and, and, I, and then kind of along those lines is uh, there's also some cultural breakdowns and and um uh, language barriers that pop up sure. especially it's a um, and, and such a diverse culture that North Carolina has of just their, just the way things are said can sometimes be misinterpreted. And sometimes it's just need to step back and just look at the bigger picture and kind of mm -hmm. say it in a different way. And, they, and that sometimes just resolves everything. Just Absolutely. Slight and misunderstanding. Do, doing shit on email or text is never the same as doing it in person, right? It's just, yeah. it's just but this is the world we live in. Um, so let's talk about that league then. What, what is the makeup of that league uh, culturally and clubbily and everything else, Lee? I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Oh, sorry. Broke what, up a little bit. Okay. What talk about the make the makeup of the of the first light league in mm. terms of cult, clubs and cultures and who's represented and whatnot? Yeah, um, absolutely. So right now we're mostly focused on the uh, um, not by choice, but we're mostly focused on the eastern portion of North Carolina, uh, which which is uh, to surprise of a lot of people who are maybe not familiar with how much soccer is in North Carolina um, is just steeped with soccer culture. Um, there are there are realistically hundreds of um, unsanctioned La Ligas that happen throughout the state um, that are just every Saturday, every Sunday. Um, and some of the clubs that we have are kind of byproducts of those leagues that have been, maybe have played in other, other leagues um, in the past um, that are coming back, uh, that, that are kind of reviving back into the statewide league. Uh, but we're covering the coast with like Jacksonville for the, uh, the 
Marine Corps base um, down in Wilmington, which a lot of people are excited about. Um, it's not the resurfacing of the hammerheads, which everybody was kind of hopeful, everybody's always been hopeful that they would make a resurgence, um, but they have told me they have strictly a youth club. But uh, Wilmington FC is kind of um, stepping into that place, and uh, that's one that a lot of people are very excited about. And then from there, it's just it kind of um, looking at about two, one to two hour drives in eastern North Carolina going west, it kind of nicely spaces out. And then we have the outliers, um, which happen to also be board members with um, Greensboro and just outside of Charlotte with Monroe as, um, as the, the initial um, uh, uh, looking at, looking westward of uh, uh, future expansion. Okay, so how many clubs all in, give it approximately? Right now we've got 12. 12, oh, actually. Are there plans for development, expansion, splitting, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, um, so w once we get enough clubs going uh, going western, we'd look at, we're looking to split travel as much as possible to keep it under three hours. Um, there, we have an idea, a vague concept that we're kind of floating around of creating a division one on top of what this would be an open division and creating a, a first division on top of it so that we're promoting up and not really creating a development league down. Gotcha. Um, one of the things from that development side is um, we're trying to partner with um, the state association as much as possible. And one of those things that we're kind of excited about to see, to, to kind of see play out is putting some of those development teams, a U19 or whatever um, level type of league in those local leagues. Like in Raleigh, we have Tassel, which is um, the, the, the biggest local league in North Carolina. And there's certainly a place for, um, a team like uh, Raleigh Warriors that we have uh, to place a U19 team into that local league um, as the development. And then that gives us a chance, uh, us the opportunity to further advance local leagues without the kind of that fear like we're, we're poaching <laughs> teams from the local, local leagues. There's a little bit of give and, give and take there, um, mm -hmm. which we feel is very important um, to, to have a, 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 a cooperative functioning with them. Yeah, definitely. John, do you I want got a question in there? Yeah, go yeah, on. Go on. I got, I'm, I'm good. I just, I like to pace myself. Um, talk about a little bit of your minimum standards for the first flight league. Well, this year is very hard because um, uh, renting facilities um, has been extraordinarily difficult due to COVID. Um, just the availability of some of the nicer facilities, just, they're not on the table this year. So we're, we're giving a lot of exceptions and um, a couple of clubs are finding themselves playing in in more local parks that maybe don't have stands or um, they're having to use porta johns instead of built-in restrooms. So we're giving that we're 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 making some exceptions this year just so that we can um, um, so that teams are available to play. Uh, in the future, we're looking to 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 have more of uh, the seating capacity, requiring restrooms. Um, right now, we're using the FIFA minimum standards. We really want to bump that up to the the 65 by 110 off the top of my head. Don't hold me to that. Um, uh, uh, you know, the the more more baseline, actually playing in like a stadium setting, but not necessarily a stadium, but something that is more. Um, fan friendly. Yeah, you're you're uh, that. Something I've been saying lately is um, club, not team. Like anybody can get twelve guys. Um, you go play a game. Can you do the other things? Can you have some community involvement? Can you have? Can you handle the social media aspect? The, the league. Can you promote your own club, or is it literally a coach and and a team showing up? And and I think that sounds like you differentiate 
by having some of those standards above and beyond just, you know, a Sunday league type of thing. And, and I think that's, I think that's important. Um, but kind of add, adding to what Nick said about your clubs, like are a lot of your clubs young, one to three years old? Do you have some old historic clubs? What's the general experience level? Not think, so much on the field, but off the field. I think, I, I don't think any of our clubs have existed. Uh, oh no, we do definitely have, well see, it gets, it gets kind of tricky because um, we definitely do have some, I know um, lasers that we have down in Garner, um, they've existed since around 2000, I believe as a youth club and have popped up at times in the adult game playing in local leagues um, here and there playing in UPSL previously. Um, uh, but not consistently. Um, other than that, there, I think everybody else kind of exists under five years, mostly playing in local leagues, a few stints in some of the national leagues. Um, but everybody's pretty, pretty young. I think lasers are the, the major outlier there. So this is, this is sort of, uh, and I'm going to call it kind of a step up to a regional setup for a lot of your clubs. So it's kind of, for most, it's a relatively new project for them, it sounds like. Definitely. Which kind of leads into, and I don't want to twist the story here, Nick, but kind of leads into some of the stuff that um, that you've been sharing on best practices and some of those things. Um, where do you find the responsibility or what does is, what is the First Flight League do to tangibly support those clubs? and provide benefits to help them be sustainable because that, that's the keyword that we both say all the time I can already tell yeah the um I, where to where to, where to start with it's a it's a big it's a big picture topic there um I'm approaching it right now from a sense of of my knowledge which isn't all-knowing but um I have a lot of experience in on the on the amateur level of uh, of marketing and social media uh, usage, um, to be able to 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 be able to help with some minimum standards of getting clubs onto these social media platforms, and then start to use them, show them um, ways that they can interact with people and talk about themselves a little bit more than they're most likely used to. A lot of the case used to that most of them are used to just existing, playing the game, and then going away for a week, have a couple of training, and then there's a game again, maybe post a battle on Facebook. And um, right now I'm having some difficulties cracking that egg. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of want and, 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 and they kind of see the goal that I'm trying to bring to them, bring to the table with them. And I've, I've created a couple of guides to kind of to kind of show them what I'm talking about, but um, I'm having a difficulty like driving that over to the next, that next, that next goal line of, of actually getting sit down. It's really hard to sit down right now um, <laughs> because of, of, of the, of the pandemic. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of rambling if anybody wants to jump in, but oh, I think no. it's, I think it's the, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to hold my thoughts together here of, <laughs> of like, I want, like, I have this idea of what an amateur soccer club should slash could look like online and how they can use those platforms to be more than that Sunday league that we've 
mentioned here a couple of times. And um, just getting over that goal line right now is my is my biggest struggle of how to present mm-hmm. it to them. I guess. Well, let me let me let me just I'll ramble too because I do that. My my thoughts again from a league perspective is. Um, and, and I think these are things we're trying to implement here is, is sharing tools, sharing, you know, whether it's free software or things that'll help make you build your club up and we can lead you to the pond, but we can't right. make you drink. So there's the, so the interesting thing for a new league like you and a new league like the Midwest Premier League is after a year's time, which clubs did what they were supposed to. And, and we have minimum standards for things like posting before a match, mm-hmm. posting at halftime, posting the final score. Um, we have certain criteria, which I haven't even thrown all that at Nick yet because he's got to do all that for our club. But the, <laughs> but the, the, the measuring stick is then here's the criteria we've set. You have to have more than just one person dealing with this stuff or you won't be successful. And you as a league commissioner you can give them the guide, but it's up to them to read it and follow it and ask questions, correct? Right. So that's the, that's the sticky point mm-hmm. for me in this development of an organization is, well, when three clubs don't do those things and we have penalties written into our rule book, we are going to enforce them. And we may have, we may not grow, rather we may shrink because the standards are beyond what some can do and i think it's a really interesting time no it is and i think but i think it's an interesting Mm -hmm. time that there's there the the comp we all want to not we probably not the three of us people Mm want to talk about the competition on the field and the best team in the league might do none of that other stuff Mm -hmm. so then it really becomes well yeah then it becomes well does that stuff matter or does that stuff not even matter? So my, where do we want to draw? Where do we want to die on the sword? On the sword? My, my take on it as not a commissioner, as just a lowly foot soldier, would be that this season more than any other season, it kind of doesn't matter. Like by all means, try and enforce it and by all means penalize people for not doing it. And you, what you want to have standards and yada, yada, yada. But right now, the most important thing is the on-field product. Regardless of what we want, right? This, the pipe dream that you've got, Zach, in your head, and what, what I've come from from England of what non-league soccer can be and whatever John wants it to be, um, we've gone so long without anything that I would rather moan and bitch that Club X doesn't have a match day feed <laughs> than Club X isn't around to give me a match day feed. Um, next year, absolutely, like we've we've because impl- at the moment all these best practices are pie in the sky they don't actually mean anything and some of them might be unworkable it might just be for whatever reason i don't know but let's just just run with it like a live stream isn't practical for 80 percent of your clubs can you therefore make it a prerequisite or not is it worth dying on that hill you know what i mean so by all means have these best practices in mind and even have them concreted out concreted out but don't necessarily live or die by them this season push clubs to well, do it yeah, and I think that's we're in we're in the same boat as, as Zach said. You know, there's some there's going to be some flexibility in whatever it is. I mean, we've talked about locker rooms. Should we even let or should we even encourage clubs to have locker rooms this year and put players inside mm-hmm. an enclosed environment, or mm-hmm. should we just make everybody be outside? So those things, 
I think we're all we're all in the same boat. This year's a little bit goofy, but at the same time, you have to uh, when you ask the question, "What do people want out of a league?" Accountability is one of those top three things. Else so is, when you, is, oh, I'm sorry. No, go. It's your turn. Yeah. Also, some some of the some it also comes into the idea of like some of these league standards and these minimum standards. Uh, some of it is just like posting your roster, posting about the match, posting a full time score afterwards. I'm just like the bare honestly the very bare minimum that a club should be expected to do and 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 so i guess a little bit of like if we're having to you know bug people to to do this bare minimum stuff what is what is it like is it the right league for this club is there mm-hmm. like like what 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 do we need to do is, is a big question that's been that's been floating around and i guess my background here as well from non-league soccer in the UK is like, it's very easy to idealize that this is what we should be doing because this is what everyone else is doing without even knowing it, right? And yes, Man United and Liverpool do it, right? But we're not trying to be up against Man United and Liverpool or Real Madrid. We're not even, we're not even trying to be up against Cambridge United or my beloved Tramway Rovers, right? We are equivalent, <laughs> equivalent to clubs that I was around in England before I came over here, clubs like Shirebrook and Matlock Town and, and just really low NCEL workshop town, NCEL clubs, which people can go away and Google if they want. But um, these clubs, you know, are historic community clubs, but they are, God bless them, supported and run by historic community people, i.e. old white guys. And social media isn't their thing, right? We, John and I can think of clubs in the Midwest Prem that social media isn't their thing they don't you know it's not about being online it's not about how many twitter followers you've got don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um and i'm sure there's clubs in your leagues your league as well but just because social media is a thing doesn't mean that they have either the wherewithal or the desire to do it right um i, I can off the top of my head i could name half a dozen clubs that would you'd be searching for their results for days or weeks afterwards. Like the leagues, the league sites themselves wouldn't update because they didn't have the results because no one phoned them in or whatever. Right. And these are clubs that are getting 100, 200, 300 people through the door. So the, the opportunity to update is there, but they just don't do it. Um, this, I guess my point is that the standards are great and we should all be uh, striving for it. But the reality is that people have other shit to be dealing with. And if there isn't someone that's good, that, I know it's only a two-second job to post a tweet, but if Bill's away on holiday and he's got the login, who's going to do it? And yes, that should be compensated for, but it isn't always. And just, you know, let it fly sometimes. It's just, it's more important that the club enjoys the experience and has the opportunity to grow its fan base their way, not our way, I think. And maybe that's, maybe that's dissent. No, you're... No, you're right. That negates everything that we've been working for, Nick. Yeah, I'm just gonna pack, yeah, yeah, just say yes, I'll delete just gonna it. End, end the call here now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll just edit it out. It's fine. Yes, John, <laughs> whatever you say, John. No, I think, again, it goes back to the standards have to be there, right? There are, going back to my England stuff, right? There are ground standards in terms of barriers and locker rooms and all this stuff and how many balls and how many people are on, on match day attendance and yada, yada, yada. Um, and there are nominal social media requirements but if they don't get adhered to they don't get adhered to at the end of the day right there has to be flexibility yeah and but they're hurting they're hurting themselves they're not necessarily hurting the league right if it's two clubs playing each other that don't have a social media presence there's a slight issue but the club has where the club the league probably has contacts that they can find the result but nine times out of ten if the hope there's going to be someone there that is tweeting it right and it's just 
Okay, so let's, I don't know, let's pick two. It doesn't mean we're not even going to pick name names, but Club A is at home and has no social media presence. Club B, somebody somewhere knows something, even if it's just at the end of the game, you know, a player tweets the score. Great, that's it, we're in. That, there's no penalty on Club, a, Club B. They haven't lost anything. Um, if anything, they've got a little bit of goodwill. But the only people that is hurting is Club A. The league aren't responsible for it in that regard, right? Because um, you can't drive down there and force them to tweet out the score. So you have to, at some point, like wash your hands and say, these are the best practices, go crazy. But if you don't do it, it's on you. I have a similar thought. Zach, we'll let you talk in a little while. Hang tight. <laughs> yeah. the, so I've had this thought too, like we have the, the stadium, you know, a small stadium minimum requirement that quite honestly is just sort of inherited from this minor league soccer level of UPSL, NPSL, whatever. That's, those, those came before us and we just mirrored them. And I've often had the thought, well, what if I get some farmland and put a field in and build our own ground? And I say, hey, we have a 10-year plan that we, we think we'll have seating by then. But for now, this is the best thing for our club to be sustainable. And I don't care you're, you're playing in a cow field. But the gra- it'll be reason. The field will be right. We'll have three out of the ten things we have to have, but it's ours. Should, should the league handcuff a club for making a long-term decision like that? And I, I th- think no. I think no as well. And I, think, I think those are where you go these are the rules and you have your process through your board and your commissioner where you file an exemption mm-hmm. and you leave it at that. And I think I you know. absolutely have to be flexible. Yeah. And I think then, sorry, Zach, we really will let you talk. I think, <laughs> I think that the, 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 the issue there, if we're talking about leagues is transparency, right? Because um, then the whispering campaign campaign starts of why doesn't this club have a live stream? Why don't they update this feed? Why are they getting special, special attention? Why are they getting special treatment? If the league is transparent and say, hey, we know that these best, best practices aren't being adhered here to, but here's why, great. But the, and, that, and, that's and, when it's on the league. And, that, and that's where the, 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 the club-driven league comes back into play of uh, those decisions are being made at the, the general committee level or uh, clubs are making those decisions about other clubs. And, and so there's, there is an already built-in level of transparency already happening by just having more clubs involved and not having mm-hmm. some league executive from a um, for-profit league making that decision behind closed doors in a phone call without anybody else knowing anything. For sure. I, I think what's, what's happening with that is that that's, that is exactly how it's been. And the leagues don't realize that the, the clubs are their customers. And if you're running your league as a nonprofit or as a for-profit, you don't have a league without the clubs. Just like I can't sell at my day job unless somebody buys it. So you have to listen to the members. And I think the national leagues have not done a good enough job of listening that we left – you know, we left our arrangement in the Midwest and joined the Midwest Premier League and helped start that because we needed a better partner at the league level. We realized that the partnership, it needs to be a partnership. It can't be a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Gulf Coast and that's why everything going on in the East is, I, I'm, I'm confused just because I can't track it all, but they've got some stuff going up there. You guys started your thing. I would love to see, we're going to totally nerd out, I would love to see a regional state league in every state. And even the Midwest Premier League is too big. 
because it's a long trip from our, our 20 clubs right now are too spread out. Um, I, I just, I think the more we break it down and regionalize it, maybe it becomes Northern Illinois, Southern Illinois, maybe it becomes Northern Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin. Maybe it's a hundred regional leagues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's, just, and they're then all... it's the two hour league, right? Or whatever you want to call it. But that's right. The geographical boundaries mean nothing. Look guys, um, I'm super conscious of the time and I know we've got a lot more to talk about, but I want to get very quickly. We've got like five minutes here about talking about league stuff. Zach, what's the organizational structure of the first light league in terms of committees and stuff who's doing not without naming names or you can who's doing what yeah so the way it's it works is structured of any uh, any dues paying a dues paying club into into league we're doing yearly dues um no expansion fees um that essentially buys into the non-profit non-profit for that year and that club gets one representative on the general committee from that general committee, it branches off into right now we have a ref committee, a rules committee, a disciplinary committee, and oh, I'm blinking on the last one. Um, <laughs> but there's one, there's one other committee that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, from that, um, we also from also the general committee, we have the board of directors, um, which consists of four league members that have at least been um, a member for two years uh, before they can be elected into a position. Um, and then myself, the commissioner, um, who acts as a tiebreaker if needed. All right. That's a very quick overview and exactly what was happening. John, you've got three minutes to question that. What question? My question is, do you assign, do, do clubs, are they required to be a participant on one of the committees? Or can they just be quiet members? Or do you assign them randomly? and just mix it up uh this year specifically we took volunteers and um we tried to uh not have any club double up on their volunteering so only one one representative can volunteer at a time um to to a committee and then once we've filled all of the seats then we can double up on on a on a club um still working to finish off a couple of the committee seats um of a couple of clubs who have not um uh, uh, volunteered, um, giving them an opportunity to uh, um, to get on one last time before we open it open it up further. Uh, but as of now, we're not requiring them to be act, uh, active participant. The club requiring clubs to be active participants of the committee. But if you are on a committee, you need to be. It'll be active, and you will be called upon. Cool. Makes sense. Cool. And we've got two minutes to fill. Anybody got anything before we go to halftime? Um, uh, uh, shirts. Uh, um, this is one of my big sticking points on uh, on, on Twitter recently. Uh, the threads. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why more clubs don't have print on demand T-shirt op- op- options. Um, it's a fr- they're free mm-hmm. services and it's merchandise. And I know everybody kind of wants to have those Shopify experiences where you have like a deal with Puma and you can do the app FC thing where you just churn out merchandise to people. But like in a realistic situation, it's not that. Um, feasible for some for some clubs and I, I think print on demand is a wonderful opportunity yeah we've got i, I did I had a chat with um steve bailey from non-league america earlier this week for a mammoth podcast that's coming out probably before yours if i get to edit it in time um but um one of the first things we touched on was marketing and you know, merch um and he was a huge advocate of it it's like just don't don't store 50 t-shirts in your in your garage just for the hell of it right just take the money and run it the 20 the 20 percent that you get is better than the 100 percent that's sitting in i was actually garage. the one that turned them on to teespring there you go then you see 
Um, yeah, and he, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. It's, you know, it may not be for everyone, and there's reasons and whatnot. But yeah, I, for the record, I agree. Whether or not the club agree is a different point. John. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. Anything in is better than nothing. And yes, and, and there's still opportunity to have in-person merch. Like, you can yes. have both. Oh God, yes. We, do, we, we absolutely have made game day sales. That's not, yeah, that's a completely different beast. All right, sweet. Um, gentlemen, thank you for the first 45 minutes. We're going to jump over to the second Zoom invite and I will see you on the other side. Second half, welcome back, guys. Um, joining us, John Hall, Zach Hines. You know that because you've been listening to the first 40 minutes. Um, Zach, <laughs> one, of the, one of the ways, one of the, one of the ways, I first, I think, became aware of your existence, God love you, because you were one of the um, first people to partake in our club, the club, Startup packet um, available still online. Check it out, guys. It's great. Um, how first? How did you come by that? Was it just us shouting about it on Twitter? Yeah, there's pretty oh. much everything these days. Is <laughs> found out about it on Twitter, and um, and I was like, oh, this uh, that was even. I think that was even before I got on with uh, first flight league of um, mm -hmm. just uh, myself and my co-host on Trisock Pod. Just we just kind of have these. We're just interested in all aspects and finding things to talk about and um that was like oh this is cool that they're just putting this information out there um of course pay for it but um <laughs> uh yeah we just kind of dove into it and um found it very enlightening from just a fan perspective well that's good to hear yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you could save if you could save your negative feedback until we're off air that'd be great but just just say it's great um <laughs> all right cool so um have you been like being able to use implement anything from that in terms of the clubs that you are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis now yeah the the um I, i've been able to kind of work around some of the contracts um mm -hmm. uh to to form our own for on, on the league side of things i've been able to to kind of reshape some of those to uh to have our as our own um but i think the biggest help for clubs out of that package so far um, uh, of course, I'm not sharing the complete thing with them, and I've kind of like retooled it a little bit. Um, um, I'm not sharing the entire document with them, but uh, the 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 breakdown of sponsorships, um, I've kind of taken that and like retooled it for our locale uh, of what what is more maybe more realistic um, for our clubs, and that's been a part of my. Um, one of my guides that I've been giving to clubs is a sponsorship guide of mm -hmm. kind of breaking down those levels and how to approach sponsorships that's interesting um, just... i think that's been the biggest biggest right. thing um without diving into the milieu show right now when you say readjusting for your locale are you saying like like the values are different or the expectations are different or what yeah values and expectations um looking you know asking around from uh the clubs that have existed for a little bit what their kind of going prices were mm -hmm. um it just there's different yeah, um, economics. neither good oh, nor sorry. bad they're just yeah. different and um and so just kind of setting some more realistic expectations um for for what other what the market value of mm -hmm. our league is current would be currently at so sometimes you uh you're right zach you have to you have to kind of manipulate the numbers and based on what your own personal or club impact may be um but i i thought it was a nice a la carte way to look at things that well, you can you can put a label on anything. Mm -hmm. You can put a business logo on anything, and uh, breaks it down a lot of different ways. Yeah, you can get you can get super cheap or super super expensive with those things based on your market. I think that's a, a nice way to just start with something. And also, the way it's breaking down, you can add things and take away things very easily based on what your venue looks like. What your you know how many banners can you realistically hang? 
um, and, and just and the presentation is obviously going to be different based on venues. And um, so I, I try to make that as like flexible as possible when presenting it yeah. to clubs. Perfect. Lovely. And then so off the back of that, then recently I've seen you've been doing some research. You've found some other people doing it. Um, Privately, although you can share it publicly if you want, I'd love to know where you got those documents from. Not because I'm calling them out on it, I'm just genuinely curious, and I know John would. But um, <laughs> what are you, are you? Are you finding that people are saying the same sorts of th sorts of things? You know, with, with the exception of what you alluded to in, the, in terms of the econo economies of scale and whatever, is are people or those of us who are considering doing this are we singing from the same hymn sheet, more or less? I haven't I haven't gotten approval to uh, to call those people out, so maybe no. uh, good. In, in private I might share. Yeah, no, that's that's where, where I get those documents from. But um, <laughs> um, those 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 specific documents um, were very were very detailed, and um, there was a lot of really good information in there. The one thing that really stuck out to me, and um, and um, um, I'll plug my podcast here, uh, Trisock Pod, um, with me and my co-host Zach looking through. The big thing that stuck out to both of us were was where the was the formula for the uh, cost per fan um, uh, formula of looking at it in that perspective is something as neither of us have ever run run a club was something that we really didn't think about beforehand and the way it broke that down and then breaking down the the, the exact social media and auditing tools um, was very helpful and stuff that um, I'll be implementing myself on to multiple accounts that I'm, that I'm in charge of but um, um, but there, but there, there are some things in there that I, I kind of disagree with too, and I think those are also important. One of the my big sticking points, and it's one of the things that I've been trying to be very realistic with, with people in the league and out of the league, is streaming, and it's like it's very hard to communicate with fans sometimes that by and large, due to the place, due to the places that several of these clubs will be playing at, streaming is just not. Feasible. It, it is a very expensive startup cost, and then Wi-Fi is not going to be available at a lot of these places. So you're looking at either streaming over data or also streaming over data using a hotspot, which will give you a, a, a better connection. But those are all increased in costs and um, uh, require some level of knowledge of technology that may not exist in some of those clubs. They just it's not something they've ever had to deal with. So there's a there's there's a couple of barriers to streaming in a setup like ours. And so what I'm looking at and I'm putting more focus on, and um, I actually had got this idea from USL League Two, which when they put their mandate for my Kuju in, it was stream as many matches as possible. Everybody should stream when possible, but it is a requirement. It was supposed to start in 2020. It was supposed to be a requirement of all matches for USL League Two must be recorded and uploaded to my Kuju within 24 or 48 hours. I don't remember exactly. And I think that is the perfect kind of median of stream if you have the ability, but you have to record your matches and make them available eventually for recording purposes, like for, for uh, documenting purposes. You know, you, you want people to see your clubs. You want to be able to have that game film, like all of the things. I think recording, should there should be more focus on recording and less focus on streaming. That's interesting. And I, I'm thinking about like my Kuju, have you done my Kuju? That... I, I have not gone through it myself. So it's, um, and I'm, 
the, the, the great thing is you can do it on an iPhone. And yes, you need internet. The hard part is the it's an mm-hmm. iPhone, so your your video your video quality is is what it is. Um, but it doesn't take a lot. It it literally I know Nick does a little bit of setup. Um, you know, preseason gets the schedule up, um, kind of starts the production on his laptop, and then it's literally just somebody that can turn the tripod left and right. Um, so the barrier is is not as bad as as it may seem. And I, I actually like, I, I like the idea of recording with a better camera and then uploading later, but then you got to go buy a better camera unless somebody's grandma still has one from 12 years ago. Um, and you can get hotspots like my local library gives out hotspots. You check them out like a book. Um, so there, there's other ways that you can solve that. Now, if you're playing at a park field where there's no elevated space, I've watched games where they're sitting on the bleachers with the fans and everybody's talking. No, thanks. I'm not watching it anyway. And quite honestly, it doesn't do you any good for disciplinary. It doesn't do you any good for any of that. But um, I know that like our streaming numbers, I don't think we're huge. And Nick, you might know them off the top of your head, but I think, I don't know, we've had 10,000 some views on our games over the two seasons we were able to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when I go talk to sponsors, there's something, yeah, cumulative, yeah. not every match, of course. <laughs> on, 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 uh, but I think that's where I can capitalize, hopefully, with as we're talking to sponsors, though, that, hey, we do live stream. There's another revenue source because people are going to watch because it's live. Nobody, I don't think, is going to go watch the game film after the fact, other than the coaching staff and the league if they have to. Um, it becomes just sort of wasted. I think you're, I think you're right. And I don't mean to argue. I think you're right. Everybody should live stream if they're capable. Mm. I think you're right. If you can't, you should at least record it. I think, I I think that's right. But I think the live streaming part, if a club, if again, if you're set up like a club where you have somebody Mm -hmm. that's in charge of your marketing, that's, that's in charge of um, sponsorships, the, the collaborative work between those things can can be helpful mm-hmm. if you're if you're ready for it and that's that's that line where we keep going to like you know are you a team are you a good team are you a club are you a good club um like what kind of infrastructure what kind of admin what kind of resources do you have and again and, and i go back to this all the time i'm essentially going to my community saying we are minor league baseball just a different sport because because the american people understand what minor league baseball is it's it's entertainment it's good players and it's entertainment. And it, to legitimize us by saying we live stream as one component of what we do, I think there's value in what we are to the community instead of, again, I'm trying to differentiate from all the rec league teams that I've played on because that's as good as I was. Like, that's not what this is. We are a legitimate part of your community. We are your club. Get involved. And I think live streaming is just a piece of that. Again, not arguing. Yeah, I mean, I, I see. Yeah, no, point. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're arguing at all because, I mean, my, my, my point is still that if you have the capabilities of streaming, if you have the personnel, the the the, the knowledge on the technical side, uh, or the availability of Wi-Fi, you should absolutely be streaming. Um, yeah. But um. And then how do we? How do? How do we? How do we as leagues and as just good-hearted human beings here? the club that can't do it this year, how do we 
assist them to be ready to do it next year, like to show the improvement instead of just, yeah, I'm going to record it this year because it's easier and I'm never going to sort of invest back into, into the club to take that next step. Like, cause we want to see, I think we want to see positive growth in, in all that we do on the field and off because the more you do off the field, the more sustainable you right. are probably, unless you're one of the lucky ones that somebody's writing the checks <laughs> for you. Yeah. It's um, it's a, it's a hard balance to, uh, to strike. And, you know, it's also the, you know, coming in in the first year, just it's a, uh, you know, it, those are things that are sitting in the back of your head, but um, have not had to, to really uh, battle with them yet and, um, and, and have to come up with solutions. Um, but it's definitely a question that's sitting in the back of my head as we, yeah. well, as we move forward. I, and I know what you mean. Year one of a league, I mean, there's so many things that we're working on that these, uh, these things that you think would be priorities are not even on the list yet. And it, I understand where you're, where you're coming from. You, can, you can't solve all the problems at once. You need to, you need to play and let the chips fall a little bit. What is you guys, you're, you've alluded to this a little bit, your, your makeup, you, your, I don't know, there's a lot of soccer hotbeds in the country, but, but I was doing a little bit of research, actually. This is the first time I've ever done that. And nice. you have all these leagues in your area, it looks like. And where do you see as, as clubs in their development from startup or historic clubs or whatever, where do you see these clubs like finding motivation? You know, I, I always look at the youth clubs that don't have like a full first team. And I try to figure out why. And it usually is, seems to be money. money. Um, yeah. So how do we, how do we as a soccer nation, broad brush, create, even if it's only in our own little regions, how do we start to create that pathway from, I don't want to spend the money to, well, I can do it a little bit. Okay, well, we won that league three years in a row. Maybe we should jump up. And like, how, what sort of a, that's a not even a question, but you. Uh, I mean, <laughs> how do we create a path for clubs to grow? Yeah, I, I I see where you're coming from, and and I think the 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 major missing component in U.S. soccer over the many years has been collaboration, and it's really been the the uh, there are so many we talk about you brought up the the youth youth clubs and the lack of continuing into adult. It just like you turn 18 and you don't exist anymore. You you move on. And, and it's, it's, there's so many, there's, there's also opening and talking about youth clubs that there's so many different youth leagues to, to begin with that clubs are, are, are jumping back and forth from leagues and of different uh, 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 caliber of play. I don't like talking about that type of stuff. I, I, level of play has like no interest in me at all and like I there's been a couple of conversations I've had in the past couple of months of people talking about caliber of play and it just I like I start to check out immediately I'm just like let's we're not we need to be talking about working together and less about like well this league is better than this league and 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 so where that comes where I'm getting to that is is with youth leagues um they're they're so independent of each other of of each other and with adult leagues and the split of of state associations into a youth and adult um it kind of breeds that that separation of it's two completely different sports and you have to go through completely different associations um to play in them 
And what I think needs to happen is a little bit more of a merger between those youth and adult associations, the, the youth and adult leagues. Um, I know one of the plans that I've talked about with First Flight League has been instead of creating our own youth academy league that exists underneath um, what we're building now is looking at the, what already exists and to see if we could collaborate with them to create to, to create those spaces for our clubs to expand. And a lot of our clubs already have these youth clubs that are maybe just playing tournaments now or friendlies here and there. They're not actually playing in leagues and just creating more of that space. And then once we have that kind of partnership building up of like looking at the youth clubs that are existing that don't have adult clubs. And now all of a sudden there's a partnership already linked and we can start looking at to, to, to bring them on. And that's kind of my pipe dream, rainbows and unicorns. This is how soccer should be kind of approached to it. So how do we, how do we in each different area actually start to move in that direction or move in a, a direction? Um, I mean, I guess one way is it starts with the phone call or 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 anything like that but we've already started having our conversations that are existing in towns where um, clubs are starting to pop up for our leagues of creating connections there as well and um, I think it's kind of like passes the buck on to somebody else but I think a lot of that work has to be done at the state association level of of bridging those gaps more. And it's like, we can do as much work as possible on the league level and on the club level of connecting these different parts. But like, realistically, that structure comes from higher up and without structural changes going up the ladder. Yeah, so does it, do you build it from the ground up and we're, we're like you, we're basically at the ground, sort of. But you can only change so much when, when the rules above you are not organized and structured. I think you, you kind of said that. So does, does the, you know, we're, we're not talking about professional. We're talking all amateur anyway. So does the USASA need to take a hard look in each region and, and create the pyramid? for amateur soccer from U19, U21 up for adults? And do they, do they, as you said, do they mesh that with all the youth so that it is all sort of together? I mean, does, I, I, I'm st I honestly don't know. I, I want to go to the very top of USASA and say, <laughs> you fix it. But I, it, it's, I also it's... know that they, they haven't fixed it yet. Right. It's, 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 it's also kind of, uh, would that actually be better is kind of like, like, you know, the grass is always greener. Like it's, it's, it sounds like it would be, it'd be a good, a better system and a healthier environment overall. If there was just structure from start to finish, there was a, there, there is a clear outline of, of following youth sports to adult amateur and all the tiers in between that a club and a player can traverse. Um, actually, I don't see the downside in that. Um, I don't know where I, know where I was <laughs> so going. Um, I was Nick, gonna try and Nick, 
<laughs> I was gonna try and fight my point, but um, no, I like my point. <laughs> I think. How does, how does that, Nick? Let's talk about that English wise. The FA at some point a hundred years ago established this is the system, mm-hmm. and this is how we're going to break up the regions at at the at the ninth level and the tenth level and the national league and the and they said this is it. And if if you and I go start a club in Liverpool, mm-hmm. we don't get the option to buy in at a level above the bottom. Is that correct? Pretty much, yes. I mean, Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon is the easiest way to look. Or oh, FC United of Manchester, right? Both phoenix clubs with different backstories but both essentially um started from the scratch and made it of fc united less so these days but um yes so um you go national you go regional you go county which is kind of state level and then you go like regional region hyper regional local leagues right um so i off the top of my head and you know the names don't really matter but i believe afc wimbledon started i'm going to say step 11 um, with a combined counties league, and I could be a thousand ways off, but basically the lowest possible Saturday level there is. Um, and they were, you know, they were getting attendances of four thousand and paydays for every club they were paid. They, they played at, and it was great for everybody. And it was a lovely fairy tale. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that yes, there is a there's a there's a structure there, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, you don't get you don't get helicoptered in. You start at the bottom. Now there are. A couple of exceptions, MK Dons being the flip of um, AFC Wimbledon, right? MK, MK Dons did the whole franchise thing to a lesser degree than the LA Rams do, but um, it's it's still a huge, huge, huge issue back home. You know, a lot of people still have massive prejudices against MK Dons because they did the franchise thing and they basically took Wimbledon's spot in the league. Um, and we can whitter on about the rights and wrongs about for ages, but. Um, they are the most obvious example of a club that kind of didn't exist and then just turned up one day. Um, Arsenal, God love them, way back in the day, they played in South London, Woolwich Arsenal. They moved to North London, but that didn't really affect who they were. They just moved their grounds. Um, and the only other example that springs to mind, realistically, is again Wimbledon-based. Back in the day when Wimbledon were um, you know, FA Cup champions and all the, all the rest of it, they were still getting, you know, three, four, five thousand people at Plough Lane. Um, it wasn't commercially viable. Fairy tale, though, it was. And I think, you know, the numbers, they might not be getting four thousand, they might be getting ten thousand, I don't know. But they weren't getting a lot. They weren't playing at Old Trafford. Um, and the chairman at the time, Sam Haman, decided that um, he wanted to cash in on their success and he tried to move the club wholesale to Dublin, bizarrely, because why not? Um, that didn't happen because there was a massive kickoff about it. But this was back in the, like, the mid-90s. If it happened today, there'd still be a lot of resistance to it, but it might happen. You've just got to find the right club to do it. Um, there's always talk about Scotland, in, about Rangers and Celtic moving south into the English pyramid, and they would be helicoptered in, right? Um, to, you know, you can have a debate about what level they the, the football is in Scotland, but um, they wouldn't start at the 11th, le- the 11th level. Now, again, from what you're talking about, they are it's a different story because they are not... They are, they are not new clubs. They are, not, they are history clubs. They come with a background and a pedigree. So, Go on. Yeah, you have a resume that yes. you're, you're applying yeah, but for if a you variance were, yeah, yet if, again. You're, you're applying to... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so to, to use a, U, a US example, the Bavarians could just drop into, um, you know, League 2. Couldn't drop into League 2 just because they exist. They could um, try 
and there'd be a groundswell of support for them because they come with history and cachet or whatever. But realistically, the Bavarians would have to start at the bottom, be just the same as everybody else. Well, so that's where leadership from the top, the football association, said this is how we're going to do it. And and nobody in in America, we don't like what's going on, so we just start our own mm-hmm. league. Mm-hmm. Well, in and I imagine that you're not you aren't allowed to be sanctioned and insured and part of the game. You have to fall in line here, right? Like you don't yes. have an option to just veer left and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah. That's leadership. That's leadership making that decision. It is. I would say, um, and I don't know how maverick an idea this is, but in the absence of anything like ProRail and any essentially, um, you know, I'm sure there's legal needs to be part of the USSAASSAASSAU, um, whatever the, <laughs> whatever acronym you want to go by. There's got to be. There's, there's probably a reason why DeKalb and the Midwest. And the, the good clubs of the first flight are, are officially sanctioned. But, you know, as a layman, I don't know it. If there is no real reason, honestly, and it could just be pie thinking, I don't know why you flip it on your head and you don't build from the ground up and say, okay, Midwest, first flight, we're not aligning ourselves to any national affiliation, but we are going to do soccer the way that we want it done. And clubs can join us and clubs can't. No player, God bless the talent that we've got in our leagues, no player is eligible, no, every player is eligible, but no player is likely to get selected for their national team. Um, certainly not the US national team. They may get, you know, that's a, that's a moot point. But my point being that the players that are involved are not going to get penalised through a lack of sanction. And if that's the case, then why doesn't the Midwest, why doesn't the first flight just do it the way it wants to and build and build and build? And then eventually at some point, Illinois and North Carolina and Wisconsin and South Carolina and Iowa and Alabama, they can't ignore you anymore. And so the states get involved. And once the states the states get involved and you know, there's this groundswell of support, both in terms of bums on seats, but you know, media attention, if the states are involved, then all of a sudden the national leadership's involved. And they're aware and we, we're all for building grassroots soccer and maybe it's a you know a 20 30 50 year project i don't know it's only a two-day project but bluntly screw them just do it do what you want to do if you know if there are re- if there's no reason to not do it and if the only reason is sanctioning i'm not sure that's a good enough reason at the level that we're at I do want to chime in here and say that we, and say that we have a really good relationship with our state association. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, they've been they've been really wonderful with us, and um, mm-hmm. um, no, we do. I'm, we, I'm, we're, I'm, we're happy with that. Yeah, no, 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 no we're, we're having having a little bit of fun here and, 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 and making some jokes, but um, but I think that 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 it's 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 important to work with the state associations and and with these regional leagues and creating that those connections now so that in as we grow we can we can build we can continue to build upon itself and we're not like in opposition we're not in opposition with any state associations it's it's we're kind of doing this for you in a way because you're not doing it yourselves Mm -hmm. and and once it gets going you know maybe get a little bit more support maybe a little bit more association hands-on of looking at an actual pyramid within regions um they were split into four regions under usasa um 
and looking at like more pyramids within those that then that then can grow up and and just realistically as we're saying here is that the clubs and the leagues that they are forming are having to build the foundation the bedrock of what we see as a potential pyramid in the future right now just within the amateur game mm. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a tendency to want the world on the plate, the moon on a stick, whatever metaphor you want, because this has been so long in the making, right? We've been, just in terms of social media, we've been trying to do this for 5, 10, 15 years. In terms of US soccer, we've been trying to do it for 100 years. And it's easy to get bogged down in the in the pro realness of it all, for want of a better phrase. But it hasn't happened from the top down. It won't happen from the top down. For wh mm -hmm. whatever your politics, it's just they're not interested, rightly or wrong. So... That's why we're doing it at a local level because um, MLS doesn't care, care about our zip code. Um, so we're trying to give something to the community that they can relate to. If the community next door does it and the community next door to them does it, then all of a sudden there's a snowballing effect. And it's not about putting people's noses out of joint. It's just sheer weight of numbers says, I want this. And all of a sudden the State Soccer Association, regardless of the relationship, is like has to pay attention to you. Because they have, as fee-paying members, or as people who should be paying a fee, they have, I don't want to get all melodramatic, but let's go there. They have neglected their duty to you as soccer people, right? They're not, they're not providing the platform that you wanted, so you went out and built it. They can, try, they can go away and destroy it. God love them. And then we all walk away and soccer goes back 20 years. But I think right now what's happening in the Midwest, what's happening in Ohio, what's happening in North Carolina, what's happening in all the other places that I can't even think of. There's probably stuff happening in Washington State and in California and all over, right? These sort of organic leagues, they are the future. Forget about the clubs. The club, the, you know, It's great that all these people want to be involved in the clubs, but the league structure building off the clubs then becomes this big multi-limbed organic thing. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, a independent regional league summit held every year i don't know where you lot all fly in and you nerd out on spreadsheets for three days and <laughs> jesus how dull that would be but um, oh, that sounds like a dream <laughs> but I think that's to me that's the, that's the natural step right is that you guy you two and the guys involved at ohio and everywhere else they you all start talking to each other and implementing your best practices across the board it's not a case of our champions versus your champions it's a case of our standards against your standards what can we take what can we learn because we're not in competition yeah, opening those lines of communications up and just talking like there are clubs, you know, you take the Bavarians who have been around for so long and have such a storied history history and have built something really amazing. What can we learn from them? And like, and can we spread that information out to everyone everywhere? As let's share that information. The clubs mm -hmm. have walked this path before. Let's let's learn from those mistakes and learn from what works and just share it with everybody and work together to build something cool. Totally. Let's just, yeah, 1969 and all that. Let's lace daisies into each other's hair and just why can't everybody love each other? Um, Zach sorry, and I were born then. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> no, sorry. I wasn't either. It's all right. Oh, yeah. Um, that was my rant. I'm, I'm done. I'm exhausted. Um, Zach, have you got anything well, I got, you want to... I got, I got one more thing. I got, yeah, yeah, I've got one more thing that kind of, like, kind of flows into what you were saying is, is um, also when we're talking about this pyramid within the amateur game and under USASA is, the, is, is that is that pro rel is still worth it even if that that top of the pyramid that we're looking at caps off at 
tier four or five, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. Um, the, a national amateur league or whatever that's built up, that's built up into an, from an actual pyramid, you know, promotion and relegation within that amateur pyramid is still worth it, even if there's not a stepping stone into professional, which we can, I mean, we're running kind of low on time, so don't need, don't mean to introduce the elephant of Nisa into the room this late, <laughs> this late into the broadcast. But like, even if it just stays within that amateur pyramid, promotion and relegation is still worth it. And still gives teams something to work work for, work for yeah I th- I, I, pro rel is always going to be worth it but i think the tendency is to think think of it too bigly <laughs> bigly hello Donald. um <laughs> i think <laughs> pro pro well to me very simplistically pro rel if you're thinking of a regional or a state level could work somewhere like florida might work somewhere like washington state where there's a multitudinous clubs of and, it, and the standard doesn't matter, right? But as long as one club is better than another, then you can have the pro realness. But as soon as you start talking about pro rel between you guys and Ohio, or us and and clubs in Iowa, then there's a financial factor that comes in in terms of travel and everything else. And we're not saying you have to get promoted, right? The mm-hmm. Clubs can turn down promotion, of course they can, and clubs can give you therefore spared relegation. But um, the geography, the geography, and the finances are such that it's. <sighs> I think city leagues obviously do do pro rail, right? And you can, I'll make, a count, make an argument for county leagues and possibly you know, Rhode Island leagues, I don't know. But mm-hmm. Illinois, Jesus, John, can you imagine if we had to go down, we got promoted and or relegated and had to go down to Champagne, not even Champagne, let's go way down to the south of the state. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's you eight have, hours. You, 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 have to, you have to also put, this is how I think of it. Like, I'm not an amateur soccer player. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not 24 years old or 20 years old and I'm not, I'm working a part-time job or I got my job, I just got married or whatever. I'm not going to go on a three-day weekend trip to play a game on a Saturday night in wherever and be gone every other weekend for a you know, four or five, six-month season. But it doesn't work for my life. I'm an amateur player. Mm-hmm. An, amateur, an amateur human being doesn't need to be in a car and a club doesn't need to pay money for flights or for buses or for food or for whatever. There's no need to ever get outside of, of the geography. So the, I agree with you, Nick, it's, it's density in geography. So in the Chicagoland area, let's build a pyramid in Northern Illinois. And if you're not in Northern Illinois, you're out. Yeah. We drew a line and you're out. Yeah. Northern Illinois, and we're gonna build three, four, five, six tiers, whatever it is. And if you get promoted, your geography still doesn't change. You're still in Northern Illinois. And then it doesn't become a barrier. It goes, oh, we play better teams, same venues, little different competition. And then if you really want to go up, you could do, okay, now we're going to do Illinois and Wisconsin or two, like a two state. Mm. You, you could do it. There's a million ways to do it. But I think everybody focus on your geography mm-hmm. as tight as you can. How many clubs can we put in our backyard? Build, build something and then get your neighbor to build it. And that's the best way of doing it. That's what I'm trying to talk to South Carolina right now about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I would say that South Carolina's like not your neighbor. I'm talking whoever's next door to Greenville, whoever's next door to Asheville, whoever's next door to Raleigh. Like, you know, right. Raleigh can support five, six, seven, eight, ten clubs. Easy. Absolutely. You know, God knows how many clubs there are in the rec leagues. Um, I mean, the, I mean, probably at playing at the FFL level right now, I can probably name off six 
clubs yeah. that are playing in unsanctioned leagues. Absolutely, and you know, it isn't right for it isn't right for all of them. Of course, it isn't because they don't know, they don't want to travel more than half an hour, let alone two hours, three hours, four hours. That's fine. Um, and there's life outside of the you know, this is three middle aged white guys talking about soccer, but there's life outside of white soccer too. Right, mm-hmm. there's life outside of Anglo soccer, um, and again, that's a big thing that Steve Bailey's big on at the moment, and he's absolutely right. It's like if you can tap into the non-Anglo soccer structure, that's where your expansion comes. That's a lot easier because those clubs already exist playing in their in their ethnic leagues, right? The Bavarians and whatever, whatever migrated out of it. But there's hundreds of clubs that can. I don't want to say join us because that implies that we're right and we're not. But there's hundreds of clubs that can join the fight and join the growth. That we don't we don't have to build from scratch. We just have to embrace. Um, well, we've got well, three well minutes. Sent. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> that's my Oscar acceptance speech. Zach, if you very quickly, you've got any question for John? I can't imagine you got one for me. Oh, uh, you know, I, as as much as I tried to prep for this, um, <laughs> this um, I did not have. Uh, oh. I, I really can come up with any uh, any any questions. Um, that's all right. I, I and instead I'll use this space to really just um, uh, really appreciate you guys for. Um, um, for this silly podcast that you put on and everything that um, Takab and Midwest Premier League is putting together um, has been a wonderful uh, uh, case study to watch from the outside of where I don't have to participate at all in what you guys are doing <laughs> and I can just watch and, and, and learn. Um, it has been really, uh, really entertaining and uh, insightful well, watching you guys and others. Thank you for your kind words, Zach. Where can people get hold of you and all the podcast and all the league and everything else? Yeah, um, so I run a bunch of accounts, but um, I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw the, the main ones out. Um, you can follow First Flight League at, at First Flight underscore NC on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Trisock Pod, the podcast that me and my co-host Zach do every Monday morning, um, can be found at Trisock Pod. And then myself can be found on Twitter at TSP underscore Zach, just Z-A-C. Um, um, not sure why you would want to follow me. It's a terrible <laughs> account um, where I complain a lot, but um, it exists. Yep. No, that's well. I mean, you've got that whole <laughs> those that, that club growth packet that you're talking about that we need to discuss off air. So you know there is there is value in that account, Zach. Don't do yourself down. <laughs> um, sweet, John. Anything to add before we go? On merry oh. way. No, appreciate it, Zach. It's been good chatting with you, and I'm sure we'll be talking plenty more in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you two need to hook up for sure. All right, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you're still here at the end of this 90 minutes, um, we'll be back in a week or so with something new and fresh and, you know, laboring the same old holy points. Till then, thank you very much, guys. Good night. Thanks, guys. Now the time has come for leaving fear. Now we shall return. So glad we could make it, but so sad we gotta run. Well, it might be a long time till we raise another glass. You can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh.